The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guests on this rare doubleheader episode are International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee and trainer extraordinaire Buddy McGirt and esteemed boxing scribe and podcaster Michael Woods. I had a brief interview with Buddy uh, just to check in on him, talk about his champion Sergey Kovalev's huge Light heavyweight title defense against middleweight champion and superstar Canelo Alvarez. Um, we also spoke a little bit about uh, the passing of Patrick Day and fighter safety. Uh, I did then speak to Woodsy, and Woodsy and I got into his background growing up in the Boston area and how he came to be a boxing writer. We spoke about his current boxing podcast, Talk Box, and his new political podcast, Shrinking Trump, and how boxing and politics go together. We also spoke about the sport in general and how it's covered in the current media landscape. And uh, we also got into some questions posed to Woodsy on Twitter. So both great conversations. Hope you enjoy. It's my great pleasure on this episode to be speaking with International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee and one of the best trainers in the sport, Mr. Buddy McGirt. Welcome back to the Boxing Esquire podcast, Buddy. How you doing, man? Hello. Hello. Hello, you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, what's up? What's up? Yeah, you kind of you kind of dropped off for a second there. So cool. I know. I know it's early out there in the West Coast. I mean, uh, you, you, you get your coffee. Get your coffee for this one. Or? I'm, I'm I'm making my breakfast as we talk. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> So, hey, you've got a, a huge fight coming up with your fighter, Sergey Kovalev, uh, WBO light heavyweight champ, defending uh, his title uh, against the middleweight champion of the world, Saul Canelo Alvarez, on uh, November 2nd in Vegas. How's training camp going? You know, Kurt, it's going great. Thank God. You know, I can't complain. You know, Sergey is, um, you know, the funny thing is we didn't really have to kill ourselves. In training camp, because he just fought. Right. You know, he took off three weeks, but, you know, it's like we don't got to get back in here now and worry about getting weight off, worry about getting in tip-top shape. You know, just the, the problem is trying not to overdo it. Right, right, right. I mean, the problem now is you got to maintain it. You know, like one day I told one of the guys respond with us, I said, we're only going to do five rounds. And he's like, five rounds? <laughs> so that's all we need right now. We'll pick it up the next day, but right now that's all we need right now. Right, right. And now that now that he understood, he was like, hey, "Now I understand, but I mean, like you know, the, you guys, you're not 25, you're 36. Right, so, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just came up for a tough fight, so you don't got to spot no 10, 12 minute rounds. You don't need that right now. If you don't know how to fight by now, you're gonna never learn how to fight. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So I was thinking about this. You know, I was going back, going back through the through the years, and I'm like, you know, you know, how how well have middleweight champs done when they come up and fight the light heavyweight champ? And you know, I was looking at Sugar Ray Robinson and Joey Maxim and Bobo Olson, Archie Moore, Dick Tiger, and Jose Torres. And I, I guess if you kind of 
torture the reasoning a little bit. Sugar Ray Leonard fighting uh, Donnie Lalonde kind of falls in that category too, but uh, um, doesn't really happen. But not, but not, but not. What's the name? Won the title. Uh, uh, Dick Tiger beat Jose Torres. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Bernard against uh, uh, Tarver too, right? Yeah. So. So you know, I mean, everyone's making this big stink, but. Yeah, the little guys. The little guys do pretty good in most of these fights. (laughs) The little guys do pretty good. So I'm not looking. I'm not looking at big man, little man. I'm looking at better man. Right. I tell people I'm not looking to be the bigger man than that. We're looking at being the better man than that. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. So that's that's our goal. Right, right. So, oh, so of course, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, Can- Canelo wouldn't make this jump if you know he didn't think he could win the fight, and you know, uh, you know, he's just going to hit Sergey with some body shots, and Sergey's just going to fold up like a cheap umbrella. <laughs> I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, that that seems to be like everyone's like, oh, he's just gonna go to the body. I mean, obviously, you guys are are, are well prepared for uh, for Canelo going to the body, right? Oh yes, I mean, listen, like I said, I told the reporters earlier, and I said again, tell me one fighter that likes it to the body. <laughs> Nobody likes it to the body. Absolutely, absolutely. So. You know what I mean? And the, the key is just, you know, to do the opposite of whatever Canelo tries to do to us. And everything will be all right. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of laugh when I, when I hear about that because it's like Sergey's been in there with, you know, Andre Ward, who's naturally bigger and stronger and, you know, at least as good of a boxer, if not a better boxer than Canelo. And, and, uh, you know, Andre was real lucky to get the decision in that first fight, and and I had him behind on my cards when uh, when he stunned Sergey, and then he kind of low blowed him into into submission. <laughs> I mean, even even when uh, Alvarez stopped Sergey, I had Sergey ahead. So I don't know why folks think this is just going to be uh, some sort of rollover. I think it that that that's crazy. Um, Sergey never like. Nobody wins the early rounds from Sergey. <laughs> you know, he's he's. I'm glad. I'm glad they think like that. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. But um, I mean, how do you? I mean, just in general, how do you see the fight playing out? I think it's going to be honestly an exciting chess match. Right. You know what I mean? Because you know. I mean, to go out and try to bully him, we play into his hands. You know what I mean? Right. For him to come and bully us, he knows that he's got to get past from the long reach. So I think it's just a matter of setting traps and see who can do it the best. Right. Right. That's the thing, too. It's like, how do you even describe Canelo's style these days? He's not a brawler. I mean, he can fight on the inside, but he's not. He's not necessarily a, a classic boxer either because he doesn't really move a lot um he also doesn't really fight uh three minutes around but but he's damn good in those spurts when he fights he throws in combination so how how would you describe canelo as a fighter he's a very good fighter i take nothing from him i believe in my heart that he's become a better fighter since the mayweather fight his trainer's done a great job with him you know what I mean? So that's what's going to make for an interesting fight. 
I mean, I'm not going to tell you how we're going to beat them. I'm just going to tell you we're going to beat them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know. It's not, that- listen, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be an easy fight. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, we, I'm a realist. Right. You know what I mean? But we're going to get that victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, I don't even know how anyone prepares for this kind of stuff, but it's like, you know, with Canelo, you know, you're fighting the money man. He's kind of the house fighter when he's in Vegas. Close fights in his career have almost always gone his way. So is there anything you can do strategically or, or mentally with, with Sergey to combat that? Or do you just have to get out there, do your best and let the chips fall where they may? We do that and let the world see it. So if the world sees that we get robbed, then we got to have a rematch. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Sometimes the world, you know, they the fans, they're like, wait a minute, man. You, need, you know, uh, Canelo didn't win that fight. Impossible. So you're going to have the rematch. You didn't have it on this world. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm I'm assuming too if if uh, Sergey wins, there's probably a rematch clause in there too, right? I, I can't imagine Canelo. Uh, I don't know, man. Who knows the contracts and fighters? Center, who knows what the hell's going on? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So yeah, I stay, I stay in my lane. I don't I don't get involved in that stuff. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So with uh, Sergey's last fight, you know, Yard Anthony Yard, real strong kid. Um, Sergey got through some rough patches, uh, came back to stop him with a jab, which uh, lets people know, you know, Sergey still got that heavy ass jab. Um, a lot's been made of uh, Sergey coming back, you know, just a little over two months uh, after that fight to take on Canelo. But if I remember correctly, didn't you fight uh, some of the biggest fights of your career on, on uh, probably less time than, than he's got, like against Meldrick? Exactly. Both Pernell fights. Yeah. So I mean, exactly. So, you think so? Do you think it's better to just stay busy fighting or, and not have these long training camps for the big fights? Look, I'm an old school guy. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I believe in staying busy, and I believe the more busy the fighter is, the better. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, guys, today, you know, you like to get in the fight twice a year. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, listen, it seemed to work for Andy Ruiz against uh, uh, Anthony Joshua, you know, coming right off that fight, went right back into camp and, uh, you know, knocked out a guy no one thought he'd beat. <laughs> Look at Tevin Palmer. He stays busy. Right, right. Stay sharp. Stay sharp. No two ways about it. No two ways about it. So, hey, man. Got to keep your tools sharp. That's right. That's right. Um so uh, did you get, I mean, Sergey's competition at light heavyweight's also been uh, been fighting pretty recently. We had, uh, um, you know, on Friday, uh, Arthur Beterbiev and Alexander Gavazdik fought in a unification fight. Did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I watched the fight. What were your impressions? And um, Beterbiev mugged the shit out of me. <laughs> that was a pure mugging. I mean, he had hit. He stuck to the fight plan, but he wasn't the shit out of him. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. So I guess he and he and Sergey have a little bit of history, right, in the amateurs. That's what I hear. I have no clue. Right, right, right. So that's definitely uh that's definitely a fight out there, right? Better BF. 
mean, that'd be a big fight for uh, for Sergey. You know what, sir? I'm just going about November second. <laughs> I've been going home. No doubt. No uh -oh. Well, I guess what, one more on, on the other light heavyweight champs. Did you see uh, Dimitri Bivol's fight against uh, Lennon Castillo? Uh, I guess it was a week no. or two ago. You didn't see that one? You didn't miss much, buddy. <laughs> it was the same same fight round you know, after round. <laughs> the, the, um, the funny thing is, when I was younger, I used to watch boxing every weekend. Right. Now... You got like 900 world champions and 901 mismatches. Mm. So, so it's to like, me, it takes, it takes the fun out of it. It's not like it used to be. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I I heard in one of the other interviews you were saying you you don't watch tapes. You don't watch tapes of uh. You don't even watch tapes of no. fights to to get guys ready. No. Did you used to watch tapes when you were when you were fighting? I, I watched the tape six times in my whole career. <laughs> I got beat. Every, I got beat every damn time. <laughs> <laughs> So some, sometimes it's better not to know what you're going up against or, or, or just have a, a vague idea. The key, <laughs> the key is just to prepare for any and everything. Right. 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 Well, I, you know, I know, it's, I know it's Saturday morning out there in the West Coast. I did not want to keep you long. I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, kind of a, a Sunday morning. Sunday. Oh, Sunday morning. Yeah, listen, man, my, my head's spinning. <laughs> so been way too busy. But, uh, Listen, uh, another fellow Long Islander, Patrick Day, passed away after his fight last uh, or last Saturday, October twelfth, against uh, Charles Conwell. I know you you dealt with this very recently with uh, your own fighter, uh, Maxim Dadashev, um, after his bout with uh, Matthias. Um, you know, other sports kind of react pretty quickly to enact you know measures to make the the sport safer. I mean, what what can we do in boxing to to try and uh, to try and make it a little safer? Well, I have always said that fighters today don't fight at their natural weight. Hmm. If you have the weigh in the day of the fight, more guys will come at their natural weight. Right. Because they don't have 24 hours to get IVs and take whatever they take to, you know, to, to bulk up so much. Right. When you cutting yourself to lose weight, you're dehydrating your body so much that who knows what kind of effect is on you know, let's say you know you dehydrate your body, take fluid from around the brain, who knows? I'm not a doctor. But I believe that if the winger is the day of the fight, more guys will be fighting more than natural weight. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of commission. I mean, I know Greg Serb in Pennsylvania was was definitely. I mean, I don't even. I don't know if Pennsylvania still does same day weigh-ins, but I know they did it for a very long time. 
And uh, I know I just spoke to uh, David Berlin, who used to be the commissioner in New York, and he was saying he was he was a proponent of that. But I don't know. It just seems like the sport kind of adopted that. I mean, Vegas did it, and or Nevada did it, and and now like the rest of the sport kind of does it. Um, me, you know, like now these guys weigh in, right, Kurt, the day before, right, and then they go get an IV right after, right. I mean, it's no secret, right. They get an IV. The ones who who, who are able to get it, because not every fighter is able to get the IV. But then they come in twelve pounds heavier the next day. Right. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, the so one guy, one guy who might put on five or six pounds. Right. Right. So is that is that fair? No, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of matters more, you know what what the guy weighs when he goes into the ring than what he weighs, you know, over 24 hours beforehand. <laughs> I think uh, Greg Serb made that point. Exactly. It's a great point. I mean, well, I've seen guys, they go, all right, buddy, I'll see you later. I'm like, where are you going? I'm going to get an IV. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, man, we get an IV, man. We got, I'm like, oh, my God. Hmm. And these are guys I was working with. I was like, what? Right. They're like, yeah, we got to get this IV. And I'm like, and to myself, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, to me, excuse my language, I'm like, no, this is fucked up, man. Right. Right. If you need to go through all that, then you should fight at your natural weight. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They got these guys now. They got these guys now, you know, right after the win, you got to drink certain, they gotta get certain drinks with all type of amino acids, whatever the hell in it. They got to drink all that to rejuvenate and Okay, you're doing all that, but what about the food around your brain? Right. Right. I mean, I've seen guys lose eight, nine pounds like two, three days before the fight, and they think it's okay. I'm like, that's not healthy. Right. I'm not saying Patrick Day did it. Right. I'm not saying that he did it, but in general, man, you know, some of these guys, then they come in, they went 54, then they come in fight night, 170-some pounds. No other opponent might come in one six fifty eight, one sixty. Right, right, absolutely. And it's like yo, where's the fit? Let's do that. Right, absolutely. You know I mean? and, and, I, and I said it before: if you weigh, if you win, if you're in great shape and you weigh one hundred and forty four pounds, you should be fighting at forty seven. Shouldn't be fighting at one forty. Right, right. Well, when I mean, did you go sit and stay with? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no worries. When, when you when you were fighting, did you uh, was it same day weigh-ins or did did you do it both ways, same day and then uh, uh, day after? Same, same day weigh-ins. No, no, the weigh-in the day before the yeah, same day weigh-in. I'm sorry, the morning of. Right. Uh, when I fought when I fought Frankie Wong, we weighed in at five o'clock in the morning. Oh wow! Because the fight was on TV at three thirty. Right. When I fought Simon Brown, we waited like eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning because the fight was at night. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's why I just, that's one of the things I think they should do. I mean, you know, it's just my opinion. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, thinking about it, it's, it's almost like I me. Mean, I was talking to a historian uh, a couple months ago, and he was saying he wouldn't be surprised if, uh, 
if they, you know, shorten the length of fights. Like, you know, I mean, we've already gone for 15 rounds, which you fought the 15 round distance and, and 12 rounds. You said you wouldn't be surprised if it goes to 10, maybe even eight rounds um, just because of maybe safety concerns. I mean, is that is that something you could foresee? Is that something you think would take away from the sport? Nah, but you see, what people got to also understand, you can change it to five rounds. Is what goes on. That, the, the end, most of the injuries sometimes occur in the gym. Right, right, right. I mean, sometimes you get guys boxed four or five-minute rounds with 30-second rest. It's like, is that necessary? Right, right. And I'm like, guys, so your buddy, man, can I do five-minute rounds? I'm like, for what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I said, maybe I'm missing something. That's two more minutes. That your head is getting beat in for what? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it don't, it don't make sense, man. You know what I mean? And we'll never know because we never know what a person's going through or what they're feeling or whatever. So it, it's tough, man. Right. But my condolences go out to Patrick Day's family, his trainers, and may he rest in peace, man. God bless him. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, buddy, it is uh, it is Sunday morning. I'll, I'll let you get your breakfast, man. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out, out to speak with me, and uh, definitely want to wish you the the best of luck, uh, November second. Thank and, you, Kurt. And uh, you know, send my regards to Sergey and everyone in the camp. I right, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. And now for my conversation with Michael Woods. So it is my pleasure to welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast, one of the good eggs in the sports. I love this man. Uh, great reporter, even better podcaster. <laughs> um, don't miss his podcast, Talk Box. Uh, Mr. Michael Woods. My friend. Describe <laughs> me as a good egg. That's, uh, I'll save that for the rest of the day and come back to it if uh, you know I get yelled at at home, kids or wife, or, or the dog throws up and what have you, and I'm grumbling and stumbling and mumbling but emhoff called me good egg that's not good to me thank you for having me on my brother absolutely absolutely so we're uh we're we're, we're broadcasting from the very sophisticated uh, my office of my wife in uh, in the basement of our building here so you might hear doors slam a little bit yes i hear not that i hear rain. rain from outside uh but we're not outdoors. That's it's, reality, it's, it's, bro. That's it's right. Reality. That's right. We get that, that bites, but it's beautiful too. That gritty Brooklyn realism, as a uh, film critic would, would say. Um, all right, well, my man. Well, well, I'm, I'm interested in, in in your background. I don't know if you've gone through. Uh, you, you've touched on it a little bit on your podcast at times, but you are a man who grew up in the uh, the Boston area. So talk to me about growing up in Beantown. I grew up in the Boston area. It's funny when people say I grew up in Boston or the Boston area. Uh, there are different regions there. And I didn't grow up in any mean streets, man. Uh, I grew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. People know Wellesley College. Right. Uh, very nice town. They have lawns and, and things. And <laughs> my background was I came from a father who worked as a neurologist. He worked at Mass General Hospital and uh, McLean Hospital, the uh, shrink factory where James Taylor went. Not to be dismissive or flippant, but um, <laughs> and mom was a homemaker and did some town politics as well. So I grew up uh, one of five children. I have three older sisters and a younger brother. Uh, 
I'm not going to characterize myself as a black sheep, uh, but I did certainly choose a different path. This path here, being in media and being in boxing, it's not necessarily the path for a black sheep, but boxing, we do know, attracts a different sort of person, the fighters and the writers, et cetera, et cetera. So I went to school, I went to Belmont Hills School, which some people know, uh, Mitt Romney's son, Tag, went there. I was oh, wow. in a class with him. Also in my graduating class, Jason Gay, who is at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, interestingly enough, he was my editor of the school paper when I wrote <laughs> and started getting in deeper and understanding, okay, that's maybe the direction that I want to go in. I like to formulate thoughts and, and, and have them printed out and have them shared. So my background was I grew up in Wellesley, then I went to college in Ohio, Ohio Wesleyan University, nice, uh, you know. Um, nice people in Ohio, a little bit of a flat and gray yeah, terrain. Why, why Ohio Wesleyan? Uh, well, when people sometimes go to colleges that you don't understand why they go, oftentimes uh, the reason is because they didn't get into Harvard or what have you. I didn't get into Harvard. I think I probably just missed uh, or, or missed by a good amount. And I found there that I like to study what I like to study and didn't what I didn't like to study. So oftentimes, uh, probably more so looking back than I would have liked, I probably spent downtime doing things that weren't advantageous to building a future. Uh, I'm sure you were. Uh, yeah, I went to Penn State. I, I absolutely hear you. I, yeah, I'm sure you were a guy who just studied your tail off and didn't go to parties or smoke uh, reefers or whatever. Oh, so, no. uh, but I got out of college in 92. It was an interesting time. There was a recession going on then. And you kind of find yourself, oh, geez, okay, I don't know exactly the pathway. I'm not going to law school like Mr. Emhoff, and I don't know exactly the pathway. So came out of college, and I said, well, i got to find something to do to, oh, shit, right now you got to pay that rent now. you got to be adulting, Woods. So I started working at a, a psychiatric hospital. Oh, wow called Human Resource Institute in Brookline, Massachusetts. By that time, I'm living uh, not in Wellesley. I'm living in Newton, Massachusetts, uh, another uh, nice suburb there, and then uh, living closer to Alston, Brighton, and Brookline. But uh, for two years, I worked in a psychiatric hospital, which mm. is as interesting mm. as perhaps you can imagine. There is a story floating around. If people want to dig it up and look. Uh, printed in the Boston Phoenix in 1997 of my time working as a quote-unquote, as they put it, disorderly, orderly. <laughs> I, so I was a milieu therapist there, which basically means you're someone who's there as an unofficial therapist, not degreed for that, uh, but also there really to help keep the peace. And that meant if someone was having a bad reaction a psychotic break or what have you and losing it, what they would do at Human Resource Institute uh, was call over the PA unit, Dr. Strong to the admission unit, please, Dr. Strong to the admission unit, and that meant that all sort of capable hands on deck would be there to help de-escalate the situation, which could result in a, a physical, not altercation, because you're trying to de-escalate a patient, but they're possibly going to harm themselves or someone mm. else. So you have to make it so they're not in that position anymore. 
you try to take them down, and oftentimes they're put into restraints. Actually, Oof. yeah. So that was a that's not a long term career pathway right. for many people. You would really have to compartmentalize very well. Uh, I was, you know, just 22 years old, and I was not uh, keen to try to do that. I wasn't going to uh, continue studies and get deeper into the medical field. Uh, so uh, after that, I said, well, geez, what do you want to do? And after not too long, I started remembering and realizing, well, do you really like to write? You like to report? Boxing is the place where there is no shortage of stories. The best stories are here. You ask Larry Merchant why he got into it. Curtin, he'd say, uh, you know, honestly, this is sort of just an excuse to hear good stories and study characters and and character. And I believe that's why I jumped in. And so from 1994 or five thereabouts, I started filing stories to Boxing Illustrated Magazine, Boxing Digest Magazine. Real quick, I like to share this every now and again because people sometimes say, well, the media is shit and they pay shit and uh, why should I work for free and all that? And I will say, well, I did a long internship there. I was attending fights in Massachusetts and then sending in fight write-ups and I wasn't getting any check for a good long time. I was just pleased to be there, right? right. Soaking up the knowledge. And that's what I tried to do now. It's a different game now, man. Mm. Kids show up now, and I say kids, not dismissively, but anyone who's under our age is, is a kid, right? <laughs> right. And they show up with a video cam, and they ask questions, and they often ask really good questions, and coverage is different now. You don't see guys scribbling in notebooks like we used to do. Now, I would go to the fights, and I would sit not necessarily next to, but near, and try to pick up on what he did with George Kimball from the Boston Herald and sometimes Ron Borges from the Boston Globe. And I would just watch and see how they handled things, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like I was shy. I would ask questions and stuff too, but I also realized, well, Jesus, these guys are the A-grade pros. So that's what I was doing. That's why I you know, tried to learn the craft that way. And I then got into journalism more so full-time in 99, I started working at Newsday, the newspaper in New York. I was covering, um, you know, high school sports and then college sports and also doing boxing coverage. Okay, so you were a general sports writer there. Yeah, general sports writer. And then I also covered Just News. I realized, you know, this is a big old world and um, lots of other stuff going on in New York City besides sports. Uh, there was an editor there named John Mancini who uh, took me under his wing a little bit and was kind enough to let me cover general stories. So I'd go out and, uh, hey, Woods, you know, someone was murdered over in uh, this neighborhood. Go out and see who you could write. Right. Knocking on those doors, talking to people. Uh, you know, uh, what was it, Jam Master Jay murder? I remember I went out there and did a stakeout and this uh, 9-11, you know, going around poking and, oh, wait, they're having their first game at, uh, uh, you know, the first Mets game. And what's the security going to be like? So got also uh, some so, experience there. What? Yeah. but Now, in order to work for Newsday, you would have had to have moved to New York City. So oh, right. Sorry about that. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> say I'm in Massachusetts. And then I moved to New York. I moved to Long Island with a previous gal pal who said, hey, uh, I'm moving to New York. What do you want to do? I said, well, um, I'll, I'll give it a try. A little bit, not strange, but, uh, you know, Massachusetts has, and Boston has more of a rivalry with New York than New York does with Massachusetts, right? right. Uh, Boston has since had their win, so they're not as salty about it. But 
I wasn't uh, opposed to New York at all. I was uh, up for the change in the experience and the uh, entertainment value, perhaps, of it. And I understood that uh, if you want to go do media, hey, why not do it in the media capital of the world, New York? Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, so from Newsday, you spent, uh, I mean, you, you, do you still do stories for Newsday? Or? No, no Newsday. I went from transition from Newsday to a long stint ESPN magazine. I was doing fact-checking and then also writing boxing. It was a large, you know, pretty much mostly their boxing department. Uh, one big feature I wrote, I followed Dana White for four days in Las Vegas, in uh, 2008 into 2009. So people oftentimes ask, oh, Woods, do you cover the UFC too? I said, well, I did for a long spell. But that was, Kurt, in a time where news coverage and social media and all that wasn't as much 24-7. Right, right. Right. Now, a guy like a Kevin Ioli can juggle the both. Um, I got wife, two kids. Right. I really I want to be around the kids as much as possible. Sure. That's one of my main reasons for being as an adult. So I, I wasn't going to be able to and I'm not going to be able to uh, juggle the both effectively. Right. I think it's hard enough just to have uh, the firm basis of knowledge in, in boxing alone. Again, I'm up against these you know kids who uh, get up and watch the stream from – you know, whatever, you know, from China, from Japan, from right. everywhere, bro. Right. You're up against those. And uh, so you got to pick and choose as to really what you want to go after and, and focus on. So I'm at uh, ESPN Magazine. I'm well, it's doing, interesting. It's, yeah. it's an interesting point because um, I was just thinking about it as you're talking about it. The uh, kind of the exclusivity of covering sports and, and boxing is gone now. It used to be, it was the major papers who got to sit in press row and go back, you know, and do the press conferences and, and you know, you had to wait till the next day to read about it in the paper. I mean, growing up, you know, my, you know, I was in Erie, PA, there was no boxing there. So right. my whole knowledge of boxing came from KO Magazine and Ring Magazine. So I was getting it like, you know, two months after it happened, you know, unless right. I saw it on the television. Right. But now, yeah, with the internet, I mean, it's just a free Immediacy, call. urgency, uh, time is everyone's different. In. Yeah. yeah, everyone's <laughs> in. And it is more democratic. Right. In a, in a good way. And listen, everything is in a good way and a bad way. There is no right. perfection, right? So these young kids can come. They can get a press pass. Now, some of my oftentimes more senior members in the fraternity, some of them grumble and say, well, you know, it's changed so much and what have you. But I've said for a good number of years, man, I go to these press conferences and most of these video guys, these videographers, they ask good questions. Sure. They, they honestly really do. And these are not kids. Sorry to say. These are not young folks who have studied journalism. Right. But they've soaked it up the right way to do it. Part of the reason that it works as well as it does, quote unquote, is because of social media. Uh, people are able to be critics. And you're going to hear it if you, if you screw up. Right. Right. So that is that is an element of democracy when you have free speech. Um, so if people are doing it the wrong way or they uh, misstep and don't ask a hard question that needs to be asked, they're going to hear about it. And that's both good and bad because shit, you shoot, you don't want to go into you don't necessarily want to go into your comments section and read sometimes what people are saying about you. I mean, even the greatest superstars, their ratio of love to hate is is heavy duty. 
it's, it's, it's eye-opening. The ability to have that free speech, again, it goes both ways, and people can be yeah. really vicious and mean. You're on, free to on, say whatever you want, that's but it. You, you, know, you better be ready for the repercussions of, of saying right. you know, nasty things about yeah, people. Yeah, man. <laughs> for sure. So, so ESPN, and then, and then now you moved on to the, or, or simultaneously you were writing for the uh, Sweet Science. Now, did you found the Sweet Science? No, or? good question. So what happened was with ESPN Magazine, uh, they're paying massive rent in New York City. We're on, uh, what, 35th, between 5th and Madison. And it's like, oh, wait a second. We're paying $80,000 a month or whatever for the floor space. Maybe let's save some money and let's bring all y'all over here to Bristol, Connecticut. Mm. I was not keen to be moving to Bristol, Connecticut. Many folks who were offered the opportunity, were all offered the opportunity, uh, said, no, thanks, uh, where I'm situated as far as my home life and the stability and the neighborhood is more important. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go to Bristol, Connecticut. This is around, shoot now, it was at 2000, 2012 or 13. It's been a long time now. I should not know the date off the top of my head. Uh, so I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do other things now. I'm going to not just do ESPN, the magazine. I still had a writing contract with them 2013, 2014. But I'm going to also... Uh, do other things, which I had been doing. They've been kind enough to let me do so. I was installed as editor of the SweetScience.com website, which is run by a man named Dino Da Vinci, who is based in Costa Rica and Dino, also yeah. lives in Las Vegas at times. I haven't spoken to, to him in a while. And so I started writing for them, I think, in 2008, 2009. Hey, Mike, would you like to be the editor? I said, okay. And so I was juggling the both, as many folks in media do, right? Kurt Emhoff works uh, as an attorney for the one firm, and it's sort of, you know, straight-ish line. In media, more so, you're picking and choosing because, uh, for one for one thing, you don't know when this entity that sure. you're working for goes under. <laughs> exactly. So you want to have your different, what, revenue streams and, and such. So I'm the editor of thesweetscience.com from 2009 onward. And it's interesting that you're asking me about this because you don't – oftentimes we're looking at the now and looking forward and just grinding, right? Right. I don't think about it all that often. But when I do, I realize uh, I was fortunate because I'm then the editor for, at times, uh, Ron Borges. George Kimball from the Boston Herald is also – you know he's left the Boston Herald. He's living in New York and he wants to keep writing boxing so the internet is there for the people. I, I, I remember George was battling cancer real hard. He was getting skinny, and I was seeing him, in, but he was still fighting the fight. Mm. Hurt. Mm. Uh, I remember the last email I think I got from George. He said, hey, Woods, you know, haven't been able to do stuff for a while, but don't forget about me, man. I'll be back. And sadly, he succumbed shortly after he was not back, but fighting mm. to the very end. And I was learning from it, Kurt, in that, you know, George would go to the fights and he would give the respect, mostly the respect. Sometimes he was he was he, he could he could be a, a harsh, tough guy. And that's one of the things that I tried to learn. I I never want to be calling anyone a bum, a tomato sure. can, etc. Anyone stepping in the ring, even if they're not giving a one hundred percent best effort, there could be reasons for that outside sure. of the right. So Absolutely. don't want to be disrespectful. And um, so learn from Kimball. 
and then I'm editing his stuff, and I will just say, man, maybe I cleaned up a misspelling or something, but I never changed nothing. Sure. I, as far as editors go, <laughs> I respect the fact that you know you furnished this copy to me. This is what you were thinking was working for you. That's what I'm going to put up on the internet. So, sure. uh, editor of the Sweet Science up till 2015. It was almost uh, 2015. So, like. Mm, all told, you know, nine years or something like that. And then I'm juggling, so then I'm juggling different things. And then I'm like, oh, you know what, would start your own thing. So I started NYFights, NYFights.com. Um, and then what you learn from that, Kurt, is uh, that, again, things have changed. And if you're in media, not only do you want to be writing and reporting, but you also more so you have to be sort of that businessman, right? Oh, okay, wait, I'm a web, I'm a publisher now. Okay, <laughs> uh, how are we going to stay that afloat? And I've had some good luck with some good sponsors. Uh, Everlast, I've been affiliated with since 2016. Gleason's Gym, the Fame and Fable, sure. Bruce Silverblade is an absolute mention, and we basically, honestly, partner up. I'm telling people what's going on at Gleason's Gym, playing up the people that are there. And I feel okay doing it because I understand the mission there and that Bruce is a good person. Sure. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean I, you know, I, Kurt, I am not um, uh, an elitist or look down on, you know, oh, well, I'm not going to run any content from a gambling site or whatever. That's not me. Now, if something is illegal or, uh, you, know, if, you know, pornography or something might – take a pass on that. But overall, right. you got to do to an extent what you got to do to stay in business. And uh, hopefully you're doing it with people that you're aligned with and, and you like, you're not taking ads from like Mark Zuckerberg, taking ads from uh, uh, political action committees that are inclined to outright boldly lie. Right. Is that how I want to make my money? Right. Or do I want to have character and integrity and decency and and just make money for the sake of doing it. I'm mean, a rhetorical question, but not rhetorical for Zuckerberg, right. who is like, no, I just want that next billion. Right, it's right. It's not right. serving the planet, man. Right. So, on a much lower level, okay, how am I going to be doing this? So, since about 2016, Kurt, I've been doing writing for Ring website. You do Ring stuff as well. Sure. Uh, NYFights.com. I'm the publisher there. I like giving opportunities to guys. I often find people on social media who are not journalists, they're just citizens, mm. found Lee Wiley, uh, Kelsey McCarson has... Oh, has, Lee Wiley, those videos are amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, found, I found Lee, who was just great boxing knowledge on, sure. on Twitter, and I'm like, dude, who are you writing for? And he's like, no one. I'm like, come come aboard with me right. at thesweetscience.com. Is, is he in England? Where is oh, Lee Wiley? I, yeah, yeah, he, he worked at, a, he was working at, a, I think, a, a blinds, blinds factory in, in England, not Scotland, in England, yeah. Okay. Nine to five works in a blind factory. Wow. So, and this is circling back to what we said before: just citizens, regular citizens who love can, the sport, who right. love the sport, and dive in deep. And so, I've been doing the podcast for this is now I think the third year. We've been doing the Facebook Fight Night Live. I do blow by blow for that. This is again the third year. So, what the story is there is cobbling together the different entities. You left that bad left hook, dude. Oh uh, no! I was I was still continuing to talk. Uh, bad left hook for a couple, and sometimes it's hard for for me to uh, remember. Uh, bad left hook for now for a couple of years. Elena Bergeron was at ESPN magazine and was the editor in chief. I reached out and I said, "Yeah, that's a great little site over there. I'd like to contribute." And she hooked it up kindly. So, um, and I think that's all the entities. And and so that's what I do and we do. And it's um, no HuffPost. No. Uh, well, HuffPost isn't taking any um, uh, citizen. 
freebie efforts now for the last couple of years. Okay. They okay. got the blowback on that, and they said, you know what, uh, uh, free is not – there is a downside to free. Right, right, right. right. Now you know such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> so, that you, so, so there you have it. Um, you know, the hardest working man in boxing media, I think, is uh, unquestionably is, is Michael Woods. But um, – uh, That's nice of you, sir. I, I mean, dude, you you are without question always on the grind. Um, you know what? What I wanted to talk about with with the podcast. I mean, you you definitely weren't the first boxing podcast. Not. not even not even close. No. But um, I remember when you got the news. I remember seeing it on Facebook. You're just like, man, this could be a game changer for me. So uh, you know, you've had uh, you know, talk box has been really interesting because you have a really large variety of guests right on the pod i mean you've got top fighters promoters network execs managers you know the, the usual boxing right. folks that get interviewed but you also bring on you know really interesting personalities i mean oh, eric kelly is a boxing guy right. but he's a personality indeed <laughs> art lovely right and where did you find art shit okay uh, sorry, shoot. Okay. Um, Art Lovely was recommended to be by OG Tommy Gallagher, okay. uh, Queens-based, uh, original uh, from the 1950s, boxing lifer. Most people who are listening to your pod probably know who Tommy Gallagher is, uh, trainer, manager, and, and so much more. Tommy is one of those fascinating only in boxing kind of characters who I latched onto immediately when I moved to New York and... Uh, uh, 99 and he was trying to he was promoting some shows there and uh, Gallagher is a a dreamer a doer and a dreamer and someone who boxing is perfectly situated for because it has that low barrier to entry right. in that it doesn't shut you out if you have uh, maybe a black mark or two on your record uh, within the system or not. So uh, Gallagher, I've been friends with, and by the way, I use terminology often as much as I can deliberately. I will say if I'm friends with someone, if I'm friendly with or friends with someone, as much as I can. Now listen, if I'm throwing out disclaimers all the time, it's like, oh Jesus, shut up, you're self-important. (laughs) <laughs> but like I'm friends with Tommy Gallagher I'll talk right. to him about stuff outside of boxing I'm friends with Heather Hardy I talk to her about stuff outside of boxing now, the reason I do that is not to be like dropping names because who cares about that really who someone is friends with people don't care about dropping names that doesn't really impress people um, but I say it more so to try to tell people who are listening hey if I'm writing about Tommy or if I'm writing about Heather, I'm friends with them. Read in between the lines when you're covering your friends, right? It's like, Kurt, I write for a ring website. I'm not going to be the guy to be writing about something going on with some sort of uh, law situation if someone's trying to sue Oscar De La Hoya and mm. such. Now, is that, that is what it is to an extent. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell the listeners that. And sometimes I get flack. And I understand why I get flack. But I say, I know I'm digressing a little bit, but I'm going to say, um, don't hate uh, the player. Hate the game a little bit. Media has changed now. 
20 mm. years ago, you had all the boxing writers, and they were writers writing mostly for big newspapers. Right. Okay? Now that doesn't exist. They get fired from newspapers and newspapers close. So do you, st- do you all still want coverage? You do want coverage. Is it absolutely ideal that uh, uh, Ring and Golden Boy sends me a paycheck because I write for Ring every month? It's not ideal. I'm right. not saying it is, right. but it is what it is. Right. So going back to how do we find Art Lovely, Tommy Gallagher leaves me a voice message. And uh, Kurt, I'm a texting guy. I'm not a, right. I'm not a phone guy. Uh, texting and works. Tommy's not a texting guy. Tom, well, this is Tommy's not a texting guy. <laughs> so I uh, uh, we we got a push me pull you relationship a little bit. And call me up, Woods, you fucking asshole. You know you you never pick up the fucking phone. Well, often, Tommy, oftentimes I do pick up the phone for you. The ratio picking up for you is better than than most people. So know that. But anyways. Uh, he's like, I got this great guy. He's 100 years old, and he knows boxing. He knows it all the way back to Harry Greb and this and that. And um, uh, I took that information, and I followed it away, and maybe I forgot about it. And would you, two months later, would you got to have lunch with this guy? All right, all right. And eventually, Tommy broke me down because right. that's Tommy for me. He is uh, indefatigable. He is inimitable. And eventually I made the phone call and I called Art Lovely, who was then 89 years old, and was taken with his uh, being like Tommy was. I said, well, geez, I'm doing this podcast. Why don't you come on in and just talk about whatever you want to talk about with boxing? And so, yeah, we have a guy come in who's 90 years old, who grew up in Massachusetts, who recounts to you the first time that he, how he fell in love with boxing. He was listening to a boxing match on the radio because his father was the first one in town to have a radio and a nice new car. This was, I think, Depression era, and there weren't that many new cars being rolled out. And that's how Art fell in love with boxing. And so uh, Art has been in now to the podcast probably four times. And you get your feedback on your social media saying, Woods, when are you going to have Art Lovely on again? And uh, no, is it is it for everyone, Kurt? Is it for the people who just want news and opinion and the breaking stories of what right. fight is coming up next? No, it's not going to be. But as you know, you pursue what you like to pursue. You like to be thoughtful and you like to ask deep questions and you're a good listener. And so I try to be the do the same thing. And that's why you've been on the pod before. And um so, you know, asking Art Lovely about, you know, tell me about growing up and in, in, in being a man in the 1950s, and maybe we digress, and I say, well, Art, what's going on with the planet and society right now? And, <laughs> and pretty much every time he'll riff about how it's uh, part of the problem is they're not teaching history in schools and such. <laughs> and so, uh, point being there is I get a little bit of a, a different take from someone who would be outside my orbit. Art would be more uh, a conservative fella. Uh, at the uh, Ring 8 gala last year. He was there with a big uh, Donald Trump uh, pin. And guess what? Some people might be surprised to learn that, uh, you know, he's still my friend. Uh, Right. We can agree to disagree. Now, we won't won't delve into that. I won't go there with him. Right. Right? But we can still be friends. And by the way, I got other people who I'm friendly with in in boxing. Uh, Gary Shaw, very conservative. Uh, Tom Brown leans hard to the right, and I talk to Tom, and we still find a way to communicate. And sometimes one of those guys will bring something up, and actually I'll be the person who will 
uh, move into the left lane and say, why don't we move away from that so we can remain on decent terms? Because that's uh, along the lines of the same thing. Don't hate the players. Hate the game, or not even hate the game, but understand the game. And it is a game. (laughs) Propaganda is being fed, and spin is being fed to everyone. And we, the people, don't know the machinations going on behind. We, the people, don't know, so we react to it. As the theater, people, right, right. There's a lot of theater. There's a lot of theater. So if we remember that, right, and just remember that, okay, human being, right. human being, right. Try right. to keep remembering that. Now, sometimes for me, it's harder because uh, the stakes are such when you have people in uh, Turkey dying because of theater. Right, right, you know, those right. Are, that's reality. When you see videos of well, that mother is holding her boy who was blown up by a bomb, it's not theater anymore. Right, right. It's reality now. A lot of people, maybe they're not tuning into those videos. Maybe they're only getting their news from one source over there that isn't showing that. That's dangerous. Right. That's dangerous. And that's the new reality of media. And that's something that I like to touch on now and again, but also realize, Kurt, that uh, not all or not most of the people who are following me for boxing want to hear that from me. So right. I actually started a new podcast called Shrinking Trump, uh, separated it. So I try on my podcast. I I'm, that, not, okay. I'm not going to talk about uh, politics so much. I started a You're podcast. Compartmentalizing. Called, compartmentalizing. It's up on <laughs> iTunes. It's called Shrinking Trump. And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, the president through the lens, Kurt, of mental health. Mm. Uh, mm. And also how we react to what he says and what he does through the lens of mental health. I wasn't around in 1865 or 1963 or 1969 into 1970, but periodically I will ask people who are older. I asked Bob Arum not that long ago, Bob, it feels pretty dark and dire right now. Is it? Worse right now than it was, say, when yeah, JFK being killed, right? right? Martin Luther King being killed, Bobby Kennedy before that. Jesus, that seemed like a horrible time. Now, now is worse. Now is worse, he says, because it's more destabilized. And um, so I think we're comparing it now to an era of like Civil War era, era of fractiousness, North versus South. Mm. You know, I hate you, you hate me. It, it's dark and it's dire. Also, you throw in your little climate change. Uh, extravaganza too so i think it is more dire and dark now um but the the point being there is i started a podcast called shrinking trump so i could compartmentalize stay in my boxing lane we're looking at donald trump through the lens of mental health first guest kurt real quick was uh, dr bandy lee who was at yale a yale professor who is not shy about saying i have watched this fella enough to know uh from my 25 years of experience that there are character defects and personality uh, dark side elements that are in play and playing out and affecting how he's leading. Mm. Now, with the Goldwater rule, they're not supposed to be able to diagnose, right? Right. You're not supposed to diagnose and say, this is definitely what this person suffers from. Right, right. But we can, I think, all agree, even on the right side, that this is a quite a distinct personality exhibiting some traits and... For me, it's puzzling. I don't quite understand how someone 
who um, lies like he does, and you can go online and probably some of the people are going to say, well, I don't believe the Washington Post, and that's part of the propagandizing that I talked to before, trying to dismiss and smear legitimate media as illegitimate. Uh, but a person who lies like that, why are we electing that person president? And I'm not hating uh, you for feeling that way. Uh, I'm trying to understand it myself. I'm trying to puzzle it out. And that's part of the reason that I'm doing that, because I'm trying to understand it. Uh, right. And that's part of what I do in, in boxing media, too. I'm doing it alongside you, the listener, the reader, trying to figure it out myself as I go. I never try to present myself as the ultimate authority. I ask questions. I am not omniscient. Right? Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely sense that you, know, you, you will... Uh at times, um, say to your guests, and you can say that because, right. <laughs> like, you know, you have this experience, like you, you don't like to hear, you know, just kind of ad hominem shots thrown at, you know, network execs or promoters right. or, right. or what have you. So I'm, I take it though, we're not going to lose, uh, are we going to lose the Dr. Johnny Lops and uh, Matt Taibbi on, on, on TalkBox now? They're going to head to the other podcast? Oh, uh, geez, great question. Uh, no, Dr. Johnny Lops, the psychiatrist, we're going to have him back periodically. Thanks for remembering me. We'll probably do for having Dr. Johnny in again. Uh, Matt Taibbi has not been on in a while. I reached out to him and messaged him and didn't hear back. He's always very busy. So, uh, no, with the other podcasts, we're going to talk to really honestly medical professionals. Okay. Yeah, psychiatrists, psychologists, mm -hmm. mental health people looking at it through that lens. And um, I don't know, who, who, who should be on the podcast? Have I, have I been missing people? I mean, but the thing is, you, you book people too, so we don't want to, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm... You know, I feel like yeah. I'm not in competition with anybody. Okay, okay. Just because, I mean, we all love the sport. Right. You know, so um, I might ask different questions than what you do or, yeah. or what have you. And, you know, I, I tune into your podcast because I, I, I want to hear it. You know, right. I, I think it's interesting, so... Um, You're a person who likes to learn. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, the the get for the the, the biggest get in boxing for anyone would be Al Heyman, but that's not going to happen. I don't. No, think. <laughs> uh, people ask me, "What's if you talk to Al Heyman?" Indeed, I have talked to Al I've Heyman. Negotiated with Al Heyman. Yes. Uh, yeah, you have because you wear those different hats. But from a media perspective, it was uh, Mayweather against De La Hoya, and there was a press conference in New York City. I was at ESPN Magazine at the time. Kurt, they were planning a portion of an issue. Uh, Behind the scenes, newsmakers, people who you don't know who they are, and this was 2007, remember? Right. Al Heyman isn't, you know, this internet sensation as much as he is now. People behind the scenes who are pulling, pulling the levers of power and, and being the marionette uh, figurine movers. So I saw Heyman at the, uh, at the press conference from Mayweather, Delahoy, and I said, hey, Al Heyman, how you doing, Mike Woods? ESPN Magazine, we're doing this issue with these uh, behind-the-scenes newsmakers, uh, uh, rule, rule makers, and we'd like you to be part of it. Uh, would you like that? And uh, expecting probably to hear no. <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. And I said, well, uh, let me get your number where to contact you. And I think I wrote down his number. I could look at my phone to see if it's still there. I'm sure it's been changed 12 <laughs> yeah, years exactly. ago, right? <laughs> uh, but then I didn't follow up on it because editors determined said, no, we're boxing is 
a niche sport. It is what it is. Mm. No one knows who Al Eamon is, even a little bit. We're going to go with someone else. I'd have to look back and see who they use. But so I have spoken to Al Eamon. I think I got his phone number, but uh, you have dealt with him much more than yeah. I have. Have you talked much about your dealings with Eamon on here or no? Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit if it's, if it's germane, you know, um, uh, you know, I mean, I had several conversations with him. I didn't, you know, it's not, it wasn't extensive. It was with which mostly, fighters you were dealing with? Um, <laughs> it was funny. The first one I, I, I called him when he did it, he pick up his phone, um, uh, about, uh, Travis Sims, which was back in the day. Cause Travis wanted to be, uh, represented by Al and 2006 or so. This was probably before that. Maybe, okay. yeah, maybe, maybe around there. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, you know, and I was just like, isn't he promoted by Don King? He's like, I, I, I don't want to get involved with someone who's promoted by Don King. Sure. You know, we're, we're kind of, uh, not on the best of terms. Right. So, um, so with Travis Sims and also with, uh, Sam Solomon, right. um, you know, we, we did a two fight deal, um, when the, this was, I guess, post PBC. So this was, you know, PBC was, was in its early stages right. when, when we did that one. So he did a couple fights. And uh, one of your points being there was uh you know you, you you won't get nothing if you don't ask for it right so you make that phone you make that phone call see sam i'm not sure that if you're at the level or what have you but we won't know unless we ask yeah well, no no this was sam had won won the title and okay. we were actually in negotiations with uh, i talked to uh, yeah. tom loffler on my last broadcast briefly about this uh, podcast yeah uh, about this but um yeah we were uh, you know sam won the title from from felix Sturm. And immediately, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I love the sport. I love champions fighting you champions. You love Sam, so you like Sam. I love Sam. Right. And, and, and Sam's 40 years old, and he just won the title, and I'm going to max out Amen, his name, brother. you know, like try to make him the most money I can. Sure. So I, I reached out to Tom Loeffler, and we were heavy into negotiations to do uh, Golovkin-Solomon in a unification match on HBO. And then, uh, as it turns out, my, my co-manager in Australia, David Stanley, gets this missive from uh from tom brown saying hey you know we we, we you know we, we'd love to have uh you know sam fight uh you know jermaine taylor and then you know if he wins that you know there's a second fight possibly against danny jacobs and, and or kid chocolate and i was just like wow that's awesome but i don't know unfortunately sam had some he'd had a bad experience with uh dan goosen i guess when goosen promoted him so he didn't really want to work with with Brown, but you know we were interested in hearing the offer and hearing it out. So David said, "Why don't you contact?" I said, "Well, I know this isn't an offer from Tom Brown. This is an offer from Al Heyman." So, so I reached out to that old number that I had for Al. No one answered. But then, you know, a couple of days later, I got a call from Al Heyman. So I said, "You know, we were interested in the offer. Sam's not so interested." And I mean, I, I've, I've only dealt with Tom, you know, a little bit, and Tom's fine. You know, yeah. I, I don't have any problem with Tom, but, but. You know, Sam, for whatever reason, you know, had had a problem. So, um, so I was just like, listen, we're, we're interested in the offer, but, you know, maybe, um, you know, I know you have a couple other promoters you work with. Maybe, you know, we could work with one of the other promoters. So, um, you know, I, I heard back a couple of days after that and, and, and we ended up negotiating uh, from Al directly. And uh, we ended up, you know, over the course of a couple of days negotiating a, a deal for Sam and they outbid uh, the the deal that uh, that HBO and Golovkin offered. So, so and then play Sam with which promoter now? I mean, he wasn't with a promoter. 
but not Tom Brown. No, so. no, no strings attached. It ended up being uh, Leon Margulies in, right. in, in Warriors Boxing. That's right. who we uh, that's who we did the deal with. Got it. Yeah. So we did a two fight deal, and, and Sam got paid. Thank you, Al Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> Sam's doing all right now. Sam's doing great. He is officially retired. Yeah. I mean, he boxed. He's what, 44 now? Yeah, 44, 45. Right. He, um, you know, he's, uh, you know, that's that was another one of those tough cases where it's a guy who you love a lot and maybe he's a little past it, not, not quite uh, as competitive on the world level. You kind of want to see him not fight anymore. And he fought a little longer than, than, than I'd hoped. Um, but talk to Sam about, I'm doing what I love. You know what? Same I, thing, I, same thing Patrick Day said. That's exactly right. I'm doing what I love. Why are you Why are you trying to keep me from doing the thing that I love? I mean, this is what I love to do. You know, I'm not doing it because I need the money. You know, right. I'm okay. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not great, but I'm okay. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, I want I want to do this as long as I can, and I think eventually, just Sam's knees and the rest of his body told him. Eh, you know, it's nature's way of saying. But he's got a he's got a your stubbornness, but at some point, stubbornness yeah, becomes more. Father time wins every fight, so so yeah. Sam has his own gym now. Sam's nice. stable. He's training fighters and yeah. uh, doing very well. Excellent. Yeah, doing very well. We like the good outcomes. Absolutely, always. absolutely. You know what? Yeah. Mentioning that this was something I wanted to get to was you, you mentioned Pat Day. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Lou, you know, was was promoting Pat and, and, and you know, uh, actually wasn't at Regis Progray's fight on Saturday because he was at the wake. Um, what was your, I mean, did you know Pat well? I mean, I had a conversation, did a Facebook fight night live on Friday night. I was talking to a, a young writer who was asking about it. And I confessed that I was angry at myself for not paying more attention to Pat. Um, weeks before the Patrick Day Charles Conwell fight, Joe Higgins messaged me. He said, "Wood's well, got a real good one coming up there. Patrick's fighting Charles Conwell. It's a real, you know, it's going to be a good scrap." And I didn't post it at the time, and I forgot about it. And then, as we're moving towards that fight date, I remembered it. And then, I, Kurt, I couldn't realize I couldn't remember where Joe messaged me. Mm. Was it a text? Was it Twitter? Was it Facebook? Right, and I did mm. a search, and I and I didn't find it, and so I think I reached out to Joe and and asked him to resend it, but he didn't. Um, so I kicked myself then. So and then I realize um, as I'm watching the fight, and then I see it like everyone else. I'm not live in Chicago, and I'm seeing it play out that that hardcore probably it was the right hand that did it sent day down and you saw that he was unconscious as he was going down and he hit his head and I'm seeing it play out and because of the age of media that we're in things get covered and handled differently now now there is an immediacy and you will get word that you didn't used to get it used to be the next day in the newspaper bro right right if that right right but now it's in real time I think I uh, messaged Lou, said, hey, what, what's going on? Got a little update and followed over the course of the next few days. And I realized that uh, this is the kind of story that I need to follow hard. Uh, Patrick is a New York fighter. Do the New York fights and whitefights.com website. So I'm in touch with Lou, I'm in touch with Joe Higgins, I'm in touch with Charles Conwell, 
Uh, try to cover all the bases and act like a decent human being. So, yeah, reach out to Charles Conwell. Hey, man, how you doing? Right, right. And he said, Woods, I'm up uh, all night Saturday into Sunday praying all night long. Mm. Mm. Praying all night long. And then Patrick's fighting and he's in the hospital and he's probably not doing well as far as all his vitals go. When word comes out, friends tweet out that he's gone. Well, he's not actually gone. He's probably, there is some brain activity left. So we hope for a miracle still. And then October 16th, um, we got the sad news that no one wanted. And like anyone... I'm pondering it. I'm pondering my place in the sport. Don't want to be um, overly self-referential, but, I mean, this is what I do. And is it right? Is it wrong? I had Mark Kriegel on the podcast talking about it. Kriegel is a good one to talk to because he went into depth and detail with Ray Mancini following Dooku Kim death. And Kurt... This kind of thing affects different people differently. Obviously, if you're close to Patrick, it affects you more so. If you've maybe been covering the sport for a longer period of time and more of these situations have happened, then it's more cumulative. Right. I've seen this before. You've seen this sure. before. Sure. It affects you differently. Um, I'm, I'm touching base with Joe Higgins, the trainer. Joe, how you doing? trying to balance the role of human being and journalist, right. trying to get that right line, talking to Debella, trying to be a friend, a boxing friend. Hey, how you doing? Also trying to gather information. That's my job. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, Higgins, as much as almost anyone, feeling for because father figured a pat. He said, uh, Woods, when I had PTSD following 9-11, he was a firefighter, his older brother, a firefighter, mm. went down in the towers as the towers collapsed. Body mm. was found two weeks later. Oof. Joe dealt with PTSD, still does, and he says, Patrick saved my life. Mm. And then he lost his life mm. on my watch. That's heavy. Uh, there was a service on Friday and then the funeral on Saturday. I was angry at myself because I'm working in philadelphia and get home at 3 a.m on on friday and i need to make that money hey this is the capitalist system <laughs> uh, need to make mm-hmm. that money right so but uh, short story longer kicked myself and told that kid at the arena uh 2300 arena on friday night kicked myself because pat was off my radar a little bit because i'm paying attention to this undefeated one that undefeated one why wasn't i paying attention to the good human being who had a couple losses on his record. Why didn't I recognize, why didn't I get the note to talk to this guy just because he's a great human being? Right. So I hope I learn from that. And do I kick myself a little bit? I do. Uh, I try to talk to these people. I try to talk to almost everyone on, on the podcast, but too often I'm talking to the undefeated guy, the future star. Right, right, right. Too much of that, man. Right, right. Because the world needs heroes now as much as it ever did. Who are the heroes? Are the heroes the undefeated guy with a massive posse who's making a big bank and all that? Or are the heroes the Patrick Days who have lost a few times 
but keeps on soldiering on, doing it because he loves it. Because he loves it. Those are the heroes. The heroes are the people, the teachers who are teaching my kids. Right. Those are the heroes. Lower level, man. Lower level. And I try to periodically remind myself that. Sometimes I forget because I get caught up in the sway of, you know... Uh, falling for the spin, the propaganda, follow this fighter, that fighter, because they're the future superstar. And then, Kurt, I don't want to be too cynical or negativistic about it. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm getting this uh, press release on this guy. They're just trying to hype him up. But honestly, sometimes I feel like that. Mm. Like, I know that they're positioning Gervonta Davis to be this big pay-per-view superstar, I've done this long enough and you've done this long enough so you understand more so the levels of where the moves are being made. You understand that Yuri Orcus Gamboa is undersized and is going to be knocked out and is being sacrificed for Gervonta. That is what it is. Right. But if I'm the guy who is like, hey, there's no one behind that curtain in the Wizard of Oz. It's 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 a little old guy who's speaking in a microphone. Well, that's a little bit cynical and negativistic because I also got a balance. You do never know. If you're Gambo, you never know. Maybe you pull off the big one. So balancing that always in media, I think, is important, especially as you accumulate decades of coverage. I don't want to be that mid middle tier towards older guy who is too negative about the sport, Kurt. I always have to come back and remember the upsides to it. Right. So I'm going to come back and say, regarding Patrick Day, Patrick loved it. Right. He wanted to do it. Eyes wide open. He thought he was going to beat Charles Conwell. He's doing yeah, what he loves. Listen, I, I talked to David McWater before that fight, who's Conwell's manager. He was nervous as hell. You know, I mean, it, it, it was definitely considered a very competitive fight going in because, I mean, Conwell is an awesome prospect. I love Charles Conwell, but... Um, you know, in, in the fight before that, he hadn't, you know, dominated and, and Day seemed to be a step up. Um, so this was considered a very competitive fight. Right. Was it considered a... I mean, Conwell was definitely the favorite, but... Was it an 80-20 fight? No, nah, I wouldn't say 70-30? Yes. Maybe it was 70-30. Maybe 65-35. <laughs> Patrick wasn't brought there to win. It was going to be competitive well, rounds. Absolutely. There was so a favorite in that what, fight. Yeah, so what your ratio was is subjective. But And, bro, that's the way boxing is. Yeah. That's the way life is, right? Um, kind of it is what it is, but we're all still debating that in our heads. Heather Hardy wrote something for me on nyfights.com saying, I hate the B-side setup, mm. right? The sacrificial lambs, essentially, she's saying. And um, the thing is this. There are B-sides, and then there are B-minus-sides, and there are C-sides. And all of it is up for debate. And how we handle this going forward, I'll be honest with you. I I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic that we will learn from it and we will do better. Hmm. Because the human mind is set up a certain way. To see horrific things and then move the frick on from it. Move on from it because if you stay stuck in it too much, it's too demoralizing. 
Right, right, right. It's the people who stay stuck in it, though, and stick with it and have the resilience are the ones who are going to make positive change. So I don't want to say I'm optimistic, but I don't also want to be a pessimist about it. But, I mean, it's not the same, but it's like, well, crappy decisions and judges, horrific displays in boxing or almost weekly basis scenario. What has been done to fix that? Not freaking much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, and, and yeah, this goes back to actually your last couple of podcasts. You, you've had some kind of, you know, the, the, the old heads in the sport, the writers like uh, Mark Regal and I mean, not, no, no offense, Mark. I don't mean no, no, old. No, no, no. <laughs> or Ron Borges, Steve Farhood. You've had those guys on. I call myself in a story the other day, the long tooths. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm one of them too. I'm yeah, over 50. Are. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with, with these guys, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and it's an interesting point because, you know, you're talking to these guys and, and one thing that they all mentioned was that, you know, the, the thing that hurts the sport is that there's no overarching, you know, body that, that, that's looking out for the best interest. And there never will be. You really think there never will be? You there hasn't there's... been to this point. History is the best predictor of the future. There are too many people doing too well now without a firm, stable leadership body uh, in place. I mean, there's a few people doing well. I don't know that there's yeah. a lot. No, a few, I, yeah, I can no. think of four people who got really fat TV did deals. I just, did I say, <laughs> what did I say? Did I say a few or a lot? What did I say? Um, I think you said there's a lot of people. Okay. Well. No, you're right. You're right. Um, the rest uh, are struggling at, as far as yes. promoters go. Well, and this mirrors, honestly, there you go. basically our economy, <laughs> the world economy, the outsize uh, level of power held by a small select few because they are able to speak loudest because they have the most money. They're running right. too much of our political system and they're running all the systems. So this is now being discussed more than it was 40, 30, 20, even 10 years ago. So there is a degree of optimism. While we have that being discussed, however, you have the material that can inform the masses about that being tamped down upon because a free press is being eroded, because newspapers are shutting down every day, and salient voices with a good degree of skill and maturity are being shut down and being kicked out of the business. So there's a fight going on right now. Uh, Donald Trump said on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl, I think it was a few years ago, she asked him, why do, you, why do you crap on the media like you do? He said, I do it to diminish you. I do it to smear you deliberately so people won't believe you when you report something that's negative about me. Props to him for honesty at that time. I, wish he, I bet he wishes he had it back and didn't say that. But So that's what happens. And I get frustrated then when people are parroting the fake news meme and, mm. and adage because... It is spin and propaganda, but point being, there is going to be the fight between the haves who want to keep things a certain way and the have-nots who are trying to find ways to improve it so their lot in life is improved. In regards to boxing, who are going to be the ones who are pushing for 
the change in the system so we have the commissioner who has oversight, who is able to collect all these warring factions, uh, who are going to be the ones that are going to push for it? Well, it's not going to be the very select, narrow few who are taking in the tens of millions. Mm. Is it going to be the masses? Do the masses actually really care enough to push for the change? The masses in America haven't shown that they care enough to push for radical change by getting out and getting off their asses and marching in the streets like they are in five different countries in the last month. Mm. Americans are beset by um, some, some things that really take down the regular rank and file. We are complacent and apathetic. And we combine it also with a uh, too heady uh, belief in our exceptionalism. Mm. Uh, so apathy and arrogance combined leaves people uh, open to being manipulated and not actually upping their own circumstances. And point being, I guess, Kurt, is... Um, how is the change going to get activated? Do you have you? you of course, you, I have ideas. <laughs> you seem to have more optimism in this realm than I do. I'm all ears, bro. Yeah, I don't know about optimism because okay. I mean, you know, I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's obvious that the sport could be a lot better, and the sport could even be richer if you had these guys. I mean, my my idea was. I mean, I don't know that it helps everybody in boxing. But it would certainly help um, organize the sport more so that, you know, in, instead of having 50 million champions and so on. I mean, I love the World Boxing Super Series. And I love the fact that, you know, I mean, we saw it, you know, th this weekend. I mean, you see Progray and, and Taylor, um, you know, a grinder, a great fight. You know, the type of fight people get excited about. And the weekend before that, you had, you know, Better Biev and, and, and Vosdick. Another great fight, you know, and people love those fights. You know, how do you not make those every week? Why don't we see those every week? Why don't we see a great fight every week? I mean, so how, how hard is so that? So let's answer the questions. We refer to the sanctioning bodies and the 50 million belts. Who does that benefit? Well, it benefits actually fighters who like getting belts. More so it, One, benefits, yes. more so it benefits the actual sanctioning bodies. The proliferation Two, of titles yes. now is, is, <laughs> it is beyond ludicrous. Silver champions, emeritus champions, franchise, franchise champions. Franchise champions. Now, I'm um, of the ilk who I think which, sanctioning... Which to me, which to yeah. me, I mean, honestly, yeah. the reason there was an NBA in the beginning, you know, a, a, a association, a boxing commission, one, one of the reasons why these commissions got together and actually did try and organize the sport and have rules was because champions weren't defending against the top contenders, right? The, the reason there is a WBC is because you had, you know, commissioners who got together and, and tried to form rules. And now it's gotten to the point where we've come full circle, where you have one of these sanctioning bodies that's supposed to be regulating the sport and doing things in the best interest of the sport, saying champions don't have to fight the top contenders anymore. So we're like, we're back to, you know, that, that was like one of the, you know, one of the very reasons these things came into existence was to, was to you know, bring some order to the Wild West. Usually things have to get much worse before they get even a bit better. <laughs> so unfortunately, when we see... Uh, better Bia versus Vozdik, and when we see Taylor versus Progray, it happens often enough that the best are fighting the best that people don't 
throw up their hands in futility and say, F this, I'm not doing it. Right, right, right. It's just enough to keep the masses. It's like pay-per-view. If they're getting 300,000 buys, they're going to continue to do that. Right, right, right. Now, I'm not – see, it's hard again being in the media. I'm not poor, poor, pitiful me, but I do want to educate people and have them understand I'm not going to be taking to Twitter and saying, don't buy this pay-per-view. Right, right. Because right. it's not going to work as far as me sort of <laughs> having people guess on the show and what have you. Uh, also, I get, you got to respect people's ability to discern for themselves whether they want to buy something or not. But until it stops working, most people will be doing things pretty much the same way. Um, you, don't, you don't think pay-per-view is dead, Mike? No, it ain't dead. Fox <laughs> is doing it four or five times next year. And uh, once again... Although, you know what? The yeah. numbers are just, you know, I mean, it's not dead, but the Pulse is kind of weak, if you ask me. I mean, the, the best pay-per-view we've had all year is, what, half a mil, maybe? If that, well, you and me would need to be able to be able to sit down with some books. Right, say, right, right, absolutely. How much, how weak And is even it? the people who work? are supposed and, experts on this can't even give you, like, a real no, hard no. and fast number And, and they won't. Right. We won't. We we ain't getting we ain't getting reality. So uh, <laughs> once again, we ask ourselves. We go back to who is it benefiting? Well, the haves they're going to get their pieces. No, they're going to get two. They're going to get a couple pieces of the pie. So as long as it's working for them, uh, I get uh, Kurt. I get frustrated straight up um, with the money being piled in from all these different places. I would have hoped. Five years ago and now with uh, the PBC and the Fox infusion of money that and the money would be allocated properly. So you would be opening it up more so to the masses. You wouldn't have the impediments uh, of seeing the product behind paywalls. But that that has not played out now. Uh, some people are going to be surprised who might accuse me of being, oh, you, you have Bob Arum on your show. You're a top ranked guy or whatever. Uh, I'm going to give some props to Al Heyman. For trying. Oh, absolutely. He did try. Took a he, massive freaking risk. He wanted to <laughs> put it uh, off the paywall, put it on NBC and CBS. I don't think he had ABC, but more so remove it from paywalls. And um, it didn't work. Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't work because if it worked, <laughs> they would have continued with the same. The well, network. all of the networks would have, yeah. 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 Like if it had worked, like, yeah. like hit it out the park work. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, that, that, and that's what it needed to be. Right. It needed to be hit out of the park. What we have is a niche sport, and we ask a lot of the followers of the sport. We ask a lot. We ask them to reach deep into their pocket because the sport is what it is. It's an outlaw sport. It's in the red light district, okay, in the combat zone for you people who grew up in Massachusetts. Um, and it is what it is. It will not have a massive mainstream following because it's know. too – I it's, don't accept it. Don't it's, accept two, that. it's two people trying to concuss <laughs> each other. And every day that we move forward, knowing what we know about CTE, it's going to be a harder lift. Yeah. So uh, it will continue to be the niche, the narrow niche. But, Kurt, uh, not, that's not necessarily like slamming it. Everything is a narrow niche. Well, I was going to say, mean, when, when football they had was an outlaw sport at one point in time, too. But they, and, it, and it more so is, again, now. And it's Yeah, it is, but it's also a massive money-making enterprise. It's, it's Super Bowl is the most watched television event every single year. I mean, of any television event. 
And Kurt, I'm not going to take issue with you when we add this tweak to it. When the next Mike Tyson or Mike Tyson-ish person walks into that gym, builds himself up, and becomes that transcendent star, we can, again, come back to some times where we're going to be looking back at these present times of the glory days. Um, is that that person – I'm not certain that person – I'm pretty sure that person walks into a gym again, but I'm not – as certain now, because of our knowledge base, knowing what you know about CTE. Mm. Listen, you had a, a talent drain that occurred unknowable to most people when in, uh, by 19, well, let's see, um, Ali lit the tour. Atlanta Olympics was 88? 92. 92. But years before that, Ali came out and said, I have 96, uh, I think. Uh, 96. Yeah. Uh, years before that, there was... Um, uh, Ollie's Parkinson's becoming more apparent Absolutely. to people. Absolutely. Uh, that kept tens of thousands of especially young black American males from being allowed to go into the gym because mom was not going to have that. Mm. Mom was not going to have that. So the next Tyson maybe would have come after that era and would 96 would have been right now 33 years old and a superstar. <laughs> it didn't happen. And even more so now with people who are cognizant of the research and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, so I don't know that the next Tyson is going to be coming out and we're going to be getting glory days again. Um, but I, I'm not a total pessimist about it. Uh, I, I think it, it, it could happen. Uh, the person might be coming from Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, etc. Stan, Stan. Something Stan. Uh, so it could happen again. I'm not, I, I would not necessarily put money on it. I, I think it's interesting. We were watching, probably you were too, on Saturday night, Shakur Stevenson against Joe Gonzalez. Yes. And we have people referring to Shakur Stevenson as the future of boxing. And so I was pondering that. I said, that's interesting. Um, the future of boxing. Uh, that's going to be interesting because he is a supreme pugilist, but he is extremely risk averse, yeah, very, very low volume first. puncher. Yeah. And so if this person is going to be front and center as our best and brightest, uh, he is going to be appealing to not a narrow few. There are a great number of people who appreciate subtleties, but America's not known for appreciating subtleties. We're known for appreciating well, over the top. But then there's Floyd Mayweather, who's style was very similar and didn't uh, knock a lot of Stylistically, personality-wise, was not subtle. He knew how to oh, stir the pot. get in there. He's stirring the pot. He's, he's very cocky. Yeah. You know, I think he's trying to take a page from the playbook. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's going to be our one of our main drivers. It'll be interesting. That's not It's a that shrinking nice sport. Level. There's no two ways about it. You talk okay. to the matchmakers. You know, you talk to Eric Botchers. You talk to you who've been matchmaking for years and years and years. They'll tell you the pool of Fighters is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. It's shrinking much, in the U.S., but widening out in other nations. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah, obviously the U.K. is having a renaissance mm -hmm. right now. They've made, maybe even better than they've ever. Yeah, man. We had Pro Grayson Taylor, and they're selling out O2 Arena. That fight would have drawn eight to twelve thousand people here. Right. So, yeah. That, yeah. I yeah. mean, you'd hope, you'd hope, you'd hope, because there's there's great talent there with those guys. Eight to twelve thousand could mean three thousand freebies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, my my thing. I mean, I'm hopeful in that. You know, when I hear you know uh, 
you know, Burke Magnus, when he did the, the top rank deal, say that, you know, it opened his eyes when the PBC, I mean, I've said this on the, on the podcast before, it opened his eyes when the PBC, you know, the numbers that they did and the demographics that they did for boxing, like when there was a really good fight, people tuned in, you know, like in the millions and, and, and more so even than the mainstream sports, like on, on an average night, right? Um, but when there wasn't a good matchup, like, you know, I mean, all due respect to top rank, but this year on, on ESPN proper. We get 474,000 people. Yeah, you, you, you haven't had the best fighting the best. Kurt, we have 276,000 views for our Friday Facebook Fight Night Live. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So. There's a core audience for boxing. There's that core hardcore. Bro. Getting more yeah. than the core audience. How much do you want to pay to attract hardcores? We're watching Showtime yesterday. Erickson Lubin against Nathaniel Gallimore. Sorry, I have a hard time. I, I got some friends over there, Chris DeBrazio. I like Steven Espinoza. I like when he Espinoza comes on the awesome. right? I love Steven Espinoza. Yeah. So, um, but it's hard. It's hard. Right. When you want to, you are that premium cable outlet. You want to attract numbers. You want to attract eyeballs. And how many eyeballs uh, are you going to grab when you're involved in this very niche sport? DAZN. Mm. We heard mm, good six months ago. That some changes being made over there, some people letting getting let go, mm. trying to push them, bring in more ad revenue, etc. So that told us they're they, the people who have been putting out the money, are a little bit tired of the burn rate. Yeah, yeah, right. And so then we heard last month we heard uh, Joe M with that great hair say, uh, "Listen, it's going to be a uh, new era." <laughs> I know you and I are money. definitely jealous of that yeah, hair, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I try to be, I try not to hold envy. I try to <laughs> just get myself a Joe Markowski wig uh, for Halloween. I'll be that. Um, but we understand that they're, listen, that's not a signal that they're happy-go-lucky over what they've done over there. Right. Okay? Right. Len Blavatnik is saying, I probably expected Better results, higher subscriptions. You, know, you and I have both heard whisper numbers. Right, right, right. 500,000, 600,000, somewhere thereabouts. They're not parting with it. They would be parting with it if it were extremely robust. Right. We know that. If it was over the million-dollar mark, we probably would have heard that. Aram came out and said that not that long after the partnership with ESPN started. So um, how much should you be spending to attract a viewer, if you dug down into the numbers better than I'm able to do, the ratio was not what Blavatnik expected, and he sent a further signal saying that I want to do things differently when he puts out word that Goldman Sachs and he are going to be looking to get $500 million worth of additional funding. I want to use other people's money now. Mm. And when you use other people's money... That can be good or that can be bad, but it's certainly a signal. Um, it's still, boxing is still the same in that it's that low area, uh, barrier to entry sport. So it has room for the dented cans of humanity. It has room for the Tommy Gallagher's. It has room for the people who aren't going to Harvard. Room for the MTKs, unfortunately. And the MTKs. <laughs> it has room for all the different people, some of them good, some of them bad, but like most of us, mixed. And 
Is that going to change? Probably not. Um, but don't be surprised if at some point there is just an overnight hardcore sensational push to change it, whether it be another ring death, something to change it. Um, probably not, though, because uh, the world is kind of a, a vicious place at times, at a lot of times, and, and that's probably not ever going to stop. The world is never going to be perfect, and boxing is the most imperfect sport as long as some people are making a boatload of money doing it we're probably going to see a very similar version of it to the one we do now let's hope that you and me and other people who care to an extent keep pushing to make improvements to it right well i like you know I like what Andy Foster's doing out out in California. Right. You know, I mean, he's trying. He's 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 doing the weight cutting studies, and he's also uh, talking about referees consulting with the judges just to see where the scorecards are. If it's a completely one sided fight, you know, what's what's the point of a guy taking you know two or three more rounds of a beating? You know, I mean, thank you for save mentioning a, that. Save a few brain cells. Out. Yeah. Good for you. So there are accentuating people, positives, yeah. right? There, there are people out there who are, who are trying, you right. know. And I mean, I had David Berlin on here, and you know what David was trying at the right. New York State Athletic Commission. He was really trying to do some positive things. So I think there are. And then what? He gets hobbled at the knees <laughs> exactly. and taken out. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's this, the unfortunate people understand how. I try to balance, you try to balance optimism, pessimism, reality, all yeah, that kind of exactly. stuff. It ain't easy. Boxing is a sport that's going to make you hopefully think, yeah. ponder. Ponder what is life, ponder what it is we're doing here, ponder what it is those guys are doing here. Jeez, I mean, push Lou DiBella, Lou push DiBella right now, how much do you think he's thinking and pondering at all? Well, that? Lou will think and ponder no matter what's going on. Right. I mean, Lou just has a very, very active mind yes. but uh, and a very excitable guy. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure right now Lou is, uh, you know, he's in a tough place because, you know, he's, he's, he's he feels uh, responsibility with Pat having been his promoter and having known him very well. Um, you know, I know he's down. Um but, uh, hey, a little, a little sort of break. What what, what day is this going to come out? We'll try and get it out either uh, probably tomorrow or tonight. Okay, tomorrow. cool. Yeah, let's get out tonight. I uh, spoke to Charles Conwell, messaged him last night. Okay. He said, hey, Conwell, how you doing? Right? He said, I'm doing okay. And he says, I'm going to fight on. I'm going to keep fighting. I believe I realize this is what Patrick would have wanted. This is going to be an honoring of him. I'm looking forward to hearing about my next fight, and I'm going to keep doing this. And I said, all right, man. Cool. Good. Because I'm not ever going to tell anyone, oh, get out or whatever. Right. Not going to do that. Sure. Not, going to, not going to opine. This is what he's been uh, born bred to do. Maybe this is his vocation. This is how he's paying them bills. Is it right? Is it wrong? It is what it is. So Charles Conwell is going to fight on. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I... I don't know why this thought came into my head the other day, but I, I just I, I glanced at it. I'm like, man, you know, so many people dying in boxing this year. And I just decided to look, you know, how many people died trying to climb Everest this year? 
I was, I was, it was I, like I, eleven people died trying to get to the top I of was, Everest. I was meant to look up how many people die skiing every year. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like you know, to me, you know, kids like Pat Day who who want to be a world champion, you know, that's their Everest, you know, and 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 they love it, and and they're remember that for. line and share it with people. <laughs> you nailed one, kid. You know, and 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 these guys they love the sport they're doing right. what they love my man Sam Solomon same thing you know and and thank thank goodness we got we got Sam to the to the title at 40 years of age you know it was very very inspiring but it's dangerous and you know people think these guys are crazy for doing it and maybe they are a little crazy but you know you got to do you get one shot at life man and 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 you got to pursue your dreams and and how you want to live your life and and Pat Day couldn't have been clearer about that that, listen, I don't have to do this. I love to do this. So, obviously, he didn't intend to go in there and die in the ring. Charles Conwell did not intend to make him die in the ring. But Pat was doing what he loved doing, you know. And, uh, you know, um, no one's forcing people to stop climbing Everest. You know? No. No. <laughs> yeah, that does make it very much more palatable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean also, and you agree with me, we've already said this, that doesn't mean that we can't be working hard with better minds than mine on how to make it less likely that this Right, make it safer, you know. Um, and that's another thing, too. You know, people talk about weigh-ins. I wanted to get into this with you. I mean, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. But, um, you know, there's a good, good, robust online debate about it. You know, I mean, I know I've asked a number of people, you know, David Berlin, uh, Greg Sir, Buddy McGirt, all say same day weigh-ins. You know, you can't have these guys in. Buddy had Arturo Gatti, who was like, you know, a guy who would go up, you know, two, three weight classes. Kurt, I'm against, I'm against same day weigh-ins. Because You're against same day weigh-ins? I'm okay. against same day weigh-ins because you know that people are going to be looking to exert whatever maximal advantage they can, cutting the most uh, um, amount of weight to get uh, to be fighting in a weight class that is probably too beneath what is most safe for their so you're body. Saying same day is not a deterrent. Same day is not a deterrent. They're going to cut the same damn degree and they're not going to be able to hydrate as much. Now, how important hydration is over a span of time, you and I both don't know that, right. but I believe I've know. done enough research <laughs> to know is they moved it to the day before, mostly primarily to allow for maximal hydration because a dehydrated brain is what, more do, likely. Do you know if there were actually studies that that's I, I, I poked around and you know what? I need to get into a better database, a LexisNexis database to right. really the delve in further. The first time I heard about that right. was when Jimmy Garcia died against Gabriel yeah. because they had talked about how he had just absolutely like killed himself to, to make the weight and they just right. had nothing when he went in the ring. So people were just like, these guys need to need to hydrate better because you know that that could have been a big contributing right. factor. But I don't know that I've seen any si like definitive science. I don't know if there's even been studies specifically. This on is this. this has been on my sort of to do list as far as delving. I really like to know. That. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I would, with whatever the science is. Amen. Is, is amen. <laughs> amen. Uh, I, I took to Twitter yesterday. And I said, hey, any of my friends out there, online neurologists who can uh, weigh in on among those, that subject as far as um, how important it is to get a longer span of time with hydration and really, I mean, is your brain that much less cushioned if you haven't uh, hydrated? 
I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. Just, I think the guys are going to weaken themselves to the same extent. And then they're that much weaker without enough time to uh, fully hydrate and eat and get their strength back. I, I, I think it's a good idea to cap uh, weight gain from weigh-in to fight night. This uh, discussion occurred uh, with the Showtime, Lubin and Gallimore. They were gaining uh, 20 pounds and such, so they were fighting as a middleweight and a super middleweight. Mm. To me, that's a little bit ludicrous. I think they should cap it, but like a Paul Malinashi and some of those guys are going to say, no, don't cap it because you want them to fully uh, rehydrate. rehydrate. So, again, better... Not necessarily better minds, but people with different um, degrees of authority. Let's let's sorry. Let's go with the science. Let's go with the science. I think let's uh, get some science. Let's get some science. We don't we don't do that enough. (laughs) We don't do that enough. You know, um, I don't know because we don't have an organized structure that looks bad for the sport. But I mean, not just not just in boxing. There's plenty of science available regards to climate change. And then I'm arguing with strangers on the internet saying, "Oh, well, it is what it is." There's always been climate change. I'm like, but I'm not a scientist. You're not a scientist. Listen to the scientists. And but it circles back to also then what we said. Uh, they will try to do smear campaigns against the scientists or uh, in, against the um, platforms where their material is presented and say, well, well, the Washington Post is, is biased against us. So uh, it's not the same thing, but it's um, somewhat along the same lines. Respect authority. Try to parse out and understand, uh, remove your own bias from the situation. Respect authority. Respect people who... There are people who know a lot more about a lot of things, much, much more than me. Let's freaking listen to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, uh, certainly with with this subject, it's it's paramount that we get some science to uh, substantiate uh, what are best practices for that. Uh, that sounded very lawyerly, but um, all right, okay. let's let's go. Uh, need that now and again. <laughs> Let's uh, let's go to Twitter. Sure, I, 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 uh, I let the people, the, the masses know that I was going to have you on, and there are certain people who responded and wanted to uh, have Woodsy impart some wisdom here. Uh, Quote, unquote, sure. <laughs> so, first question is from uh, at the boxing writer. Um, is it time for reporters to ignore the baubles attached to fights? Baubles, I'm assuming, meaning... Championship belts and designations of, of, of championship status. I felt it's been that time for a long time. I uh, don't necessarily think that someone is going to pick up on this without me saying it, but oftentimes when I'm writing up a fight report, far down the line will I mention what title was up for grabs. I think I did it with the Stevenson-Gonzalez fight yesterday. Seven paragraphs down, and by the way, the WBO uh, vacant title was up for grabs tonight. So that is how I handle it. I don't, I don't mention it. I don't shit on it. Right. But I'm not going to mention it. And by the way, that's also what I do with sometimes if a fight is a mismatch and I feel it's being shoved down our throat. I'm not necessarily going to say this is a crap fight or whatever because it's too negative. But I'm just not going to cover it as much. And so that's what I do with the titles too. You know, I, I honestly wish, I mean, tennis has the ATP, and they've tweaked it a bunch of times. It's computer ratings. You know, I mean, obviously, if, if Serena Williams is rated number 13th in the world, everyone knows she's probably the best player in the world. But they know that there's a reason why she's at 13. There's inactivity. She's right. been injured. She hasn't played in a while. Um, 
I wish Box Rec had a little more like oomph or, or people had more faith in in, in, in its ability to rate better, fighters. Better algorithmic. Uh, yeah, setup. yeah, tweak it. I mean, listen, the ATP was off when when right. they first started it, but they worked on it and, and they've gotten it to where it's a lot better. I think you're now. right. I think BCS they could do that. too. I mean, I, I would love to see, you know, okay, yeah, this guy's the interim intergalactic, uh, you know, uh, you know, Captain Underpants, you know, WBO champion, but he's also the 183rd fighter in the world by box rec, you know. If we had, like, some sort of really objective ratings where you could say, all right, yeah, this guy's got a title, but you know what, he's, like, 56 in the world. <laughs> I feel, Kurt, I feel like we already do because boxing fans are so knowledgeable. Mm. Going back to what we said at the start of your show about people having the ability to watch so much material on YouTube and live streams, etc. Fight fans are really, by and large, really smart. Right. They know who the best are. They know right. what fights they want to see. And they don't have to be told uh, via who holds what belts who is at what level of expertise or superiority. So listen to the wisdom of the masses. I think we do a pretty good job of doing that. And I think the titles are more so as used often as a marketing tool for casuals and such. (laughs) More casual. I guess, too, as a manager of a fighter, I might want you to, to, to mention the title. You know, my guy has a title that, that you're right. It is marketing. Yeah. And if I'm on his in his camp, I would want him, you know, that marketing tool to be mentioned. And I don't want to mention it because I think it's, <laughs> I think people are proud of getting them. So right. that's never been something that's like at the top of my list of the must change. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, mention it, but have some sort of caveat in there if you're, if you're feeling guilty about it. Right. You know, guys like really 56 in the world. Yep. Um, all right, discussion item from Abraham at AbeG718. My man Abe. Abe. Okay. Discussion item. Will Barclays be reducing the number of boxing shows in 2020? You're asking the man from New York Fights, the man who is the hardest working man in boxing journalism, the, the beat reporter of boxing. Good question. Good question, and one that I wish I could answer with more authority than I have. Uh, Brett Yormark was uh, running Barclays Center and a big proponent of professional boxing. If he hasn't already left the building, he will be. New ownership coming in and he's moving out with old ownership. So I have to do a deeper dive into the people who are moving in. I haven't heard of, I don't know of new personnel being brought in. I haven't heard of people being ushered out. So far, seems like the same infrastructure as far as management of that division. Me, outside looking in, I would want to crunch the numbers. Same as you. You have a loyally mind. I would want to say, okay, we're bringing boxing December 7th, Charlo against Hogan. I want to look at, uh, we did seven events last year. What was the uh, average attendance? What was the gross as compared to having... Uh, Foo Fighters come in or or someone who's more current than that but as opposed to having uh, uh, Neil Diamond or uh, Travis Trigger or whoever the hell anything (laughs) other than boxing bro right Right. Uh, if we have music coming in on a Saturday are we more likely to do better numbers and have a better house or have the Globetrotters come in sure (laughs) that would be my question it wasn't as much a question I don't think with your mark because he saw it as a 
small, but a building block of the identity of the arena. Is the, is the next guy going to come in seeing it the same way, or is it going to be a pure numbers thing? So I think it's good that we see a December 7th card. I've asked around, and I haven't heard from anyone saying, no, we're, we're not going to be seeing boxing so much. I haven't heard that. But if you were to be hearing that, that would be something that would be shared with people on a need-to-know basis and would more so be whispered about and kind of put out more quietly, probably, or maybe not. Listen, maybe the new guy comes in and says, well, to be honest with you, I didn't think all that much of the way they were doing it before, and and boxing is not uh, something that is going to be appealing to uh, more of the masses. We want more of the masses. We want more of the eyeballs. We want more, more, more. It is that way in premium cable. It is that way with OTT. Um, and boxing is that niche sport. But if we can get uh, eight to 12,000, 8,000 paying customers at a decent uh, per seat rate, then probably it still makes sense for us to book boxing into the building. But Kurt, I mean, come on, you know, we said it before. You had the fight at the O2 Arena. You're selling out the joint. Uh, is it, it 20,000 capacity? I should know the capacity over there. But they more so fight to fill capacity in the UK than they do in America. There are so many damn different options for entertainment. Many of them are on the screen at home. How to get people out of their house and into a, a venue to, to watch material is not easy. It also is not easy when people are watching athletes who are not known outside of our narrow niche. The Charlers were having a good run there where they were getting into GQ and such, but you have to be marketed and have to be publicized, and you also have to fight compelling fights against people who the hardcore fans know you should be fighting. Right, right. Has that always happened? Rhetorical question. At the Barclays? At overall in boxing and, and with yeah. Charlos and with everyone, not just not – just. Yeah, I think you know it, it, it's interesting yeah. in that it's the best of times, worst of times right now because you've got – you know what and I hate when people call yes. them leagues. Yes, yes. But uh, you know, just different factions, major players on different right. networks. But you know, this year we got a ton of unification fights too. Yes. So we got some good fights. Yes, we did. But we also didn't get the big fights that we wanted. Don't let the quest for perfection be (laughs) your enemy. Understand that good enough is sometimes good enough. And, and, you know, look at that damn glass and see that, oh, there's some good water in there. And it's fresh, clean water. And I'm looking forward (laughs) to drinking it. And it's a constant. I I don't want to say it's a struggle, but it's it's something that's in my mindset. And so while I will try to tell Abe, I say I'm hopeful that it continues, it gives good opportunities for people locally, and uh, boxing fans have come out to Barclays Center, and they get yeah. a real, overall, a nice crowd. 8,000 is the uh, pocket, I believe, of sort of their hardcores, uh, right? right? We've seen over the years. Right. So I want I want that to continue. I can walk to the arena, and it's a 17-minute it's a well, walk. As, as Brooklynites, yes, yes. We, we want more Barclays. But, whoa, just, I mean... Just throwing something out Please. there, and then last point. And I'm, get, and I'm getting a lift from my daughter as I'm talking to you. Please uh, excuse excuse my no, no worries. You're you're multitasking, Woodsy. We we wouldn't expect anything oh, less. Oh bless you, Tom. Yeah, but uh, yeah. the nexus between Showtime and and shows at the Barclays. It seemed like 
Showtime this year, you know, in competing, you know, they're kind of in competition with Fox to get the best of the PBC. Um, maybe is, is that a contributing factor because they're not getting maybe the more marquee fights and maybe, you know, Barclays not interested in things that aren't as marquee, maybe? In America, who often, most often, almost all the time wins? People who write the largest checks. And the larger check was written by the people at Fox. Hmm. And uh, Al Heyman, being a businessman, accepted that check and uh, strategized, re-strategized, hit the reset button, said more of my marquee players are going to be allocated to Fox. Can be seeing Errol Spence, et cetera, over there. And this was came as a degree of a surprise to our friends at Showtime, who believed, I believe, that there was a degree of stability and loyalty built up. If you want loyalty, are you in the boxing sphere? Or do you go to a shelter and get a, a dog who wants to be adopted? <laughs> you go with the dog, brother. You go with the dog. Ooh. So, yes, got to have Stephen Espinosa on again and ask this rather pointed question. And I expect a, not an evasive, but a clever answer. If we had a sodium pentothal episode... Would he admit that he was surprised, taken aback, and disappointed in the fact that the Fox team was allocated the better personnel from the PBC crew? He may, he may say that disappointed me. Would he say that he was disappointed in that Deontay Wilder, who had a relationship built up on Showtime, perhaps wasn't as cognizant of that history, and instead... Took the offers from the different people, as a businessman often usually does and arguably should. He might say that surprised him and chagrined him. So this is a business where it mirrors life more than life should see it. Um, Loyalty is to a paycheck. Hmm. It's to zeros on a check more than relationships. So our morality has come, become more corporatized. We, we have a corporate morality now. Yeah. What's the bottom line? Yeah, that's, that's the morality of a corporation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. So what was circle back to our original question? Should we wrap it up in a bow? What? Sure. Barclays yeah. are they going to be reducing the number of boxing shows in 2020? TBD. We have one December 7th. I think we'll see how that goes. I don't think they're going to hit the. I don't believe that they're hitting they, – I think they should probably see how it goes December 7th before they're planning their 2020. But you and I both know that more plans are made uh, in even years in advance in boxing than most fans realize. Sure. When I was speaking to Bob Arum a couple months ago, I think Bob Arum knew that Tyson Fury would be doing a WWE event in Saudi Arabia October 31st, months ago. So when I asked Bob about Eddie Hearn doing an event December 7th in Saudi Arabia, and Bob took a pass on answering it, I believe that's why. Things take often months or even a year to actually play out publicly. These guys know how to play chess, moves ahead, 
I'm reacting in real time as a journalist. I'm often two, three, or five steps behind. But the difference is I'm going to admit that to you. Some of your folks are going to not even know that they're behind the curve. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have Toby Hines, and uh, and he's maybe taking issue with you here. He says, did you really excuse Spence? Driving drunk by saying we all did when we were younger. Mr. Hines, I would ask you to please, uh, where you got that uh, understanding from, go back and read it. Read the article. Something I find now more than ever is oftentimes people are skimming. People are just reading the headline. They're not reading the entirety of the article. And by the way, most of the time, I'm not even going to write more than 350 words. I want to make it easy for you. Uh, But let me clarify now and say, no, not condoning at all. If we go to the article, we will see not condoning at all. Only a fool or jerk would. Right. Don't drink and drive. However, was I younger and more foolish and unwise at one time? Indeed, I was. Does that dismiss the gravity of the situation? No, it doesn't. Furthermore, I want to see Errol Spence see this as a learning lesson, a life lesson. I want to see him come out humbled. I want to see him understanding, but for the grace of God go I, and I probably really shouldn't be alive now. I want to spend my days living life differently now. And being thankful that I'm alive to see my two daughters growing up and they're able to see dad grow up. I root for this to be a lesson learned for him. And then therefore, all the people that look up to him. So, do I excuse it or condone it? In no way, shape, or form. There you have it. There you have it. We have Lexi Doyle. Um, who says brilliant that you're that I'm having you on? He's the best writer in boxing. Thank you, uh, Lexi. There Lexi, you go, Woodsy. Lexi is From a, a fan. Uh, Lexi is a Twitter friend. There you go. Thank you, Lexi. There you go. Yep. All right, last one, Woodsy. Well, actually, yeah, there there might be two in here. That's okay. But, uh, That's how I do it too. I say last question or almost the last question. <laughs> That's it. From a Mr. Joe Abba at at, at Joe Abba Drums. Um, why is it that when a boxing writer leans left, I think you kind of got into this a little bit, leans left oh, in his or her, her views on the world. I tumble left. I lean hard left. I fall. <laughs> Does boxing the- Twitter explode? Does anyone realize that all types of people enjoy the fight game? I wonder if boxing fans think only one type of person is a fan. Hashtag dumb. Hashtag dumb. <laughs> Hashtag humans are animals. Animals are not always brain surgeons. As a matter of fact, dogs who have less brain power than us are better beings than us. Our larger brains and higher capacity for quote-unquote learning often makes us uh, worser beings because we are able to use our brains for evil and exploitation. Uh, As far as people heads exploding when a fight writer leans left, it's interesting. Uh, social media. So I'm on Twitter since 2009. I use it way too much. And it's uh, an addiction for me. Try to use it uh, as wisely as I can, often fail. I have tempered 
over the past several years, how I use it. It's a constant battle in my head as far as what should I be putting out here? What should I not be putting out here? I got into trouble 2012. I did a fight blog for ESPN New York, and my Twitter account was linked up and scrolling on their home page. And it was, oh, shoot now. Oh, it was early. What year was Sarah Palin a VP candidate for Jim McCain for the 2008 election? 2008, yep. 2008. Ah, Sarah Palin was probably yapping in, in 2012. And I don't know, I said something like, damn, is this... Has she been drinking or something? What's going on here? This is a little sarcastic and nasty. Now, someone was reading and monitoring the ESPN New York feed and seeing that, and they said something to the effect of, and I saw replies to the tweet, damn, maybe Wood's been drinking. What's he talking about yapping about politics over here? <laughs> so um, uh, I, I got reached out to and said, hey, yo, you know, you're going into the political realm. You know, you're a boxing guy. Whatever. This is from ESPN. ESPN New York. Mm, okay. And if I recall. You got Daryl Morey, basically. Me? I did. I did. <laughs> I, did. I said, uh, if I recall, I said, you know, it's important to me to have free speech and to speak uh, my mind and my conscience. Right. This is important to me. So I said. I suggest y'all take my Twitter down from the feed. I respect you guys, what you're doing, understand the needed separation between sports and politics, and understand that people come and they're following sports as a... Uh, as an escape, almost. As an escape. Yeah. I yeah. want to respect that. So I would say take my Twitter feed off of uh, your homepage. And I, again, I try to come back to that understanding. I'm not going to be all things for all people. And I'm going to respectfully say, um, God, please understand how the world works, how media works, how human beings work. And say, if you don't like it, I would not follow me. And so instead of saying F you to people who say, oh, you stupid libtard or whatever, I'll say, feel free to unfollow. I understand I'm not going to be all things for all people. Um, and then now, because I've done that over the years... I feel like um, have a degree of acceptance level. People know what they're getting on, on my feet. If they don't like it, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try not to fight with them, beef with them, um, and uh, feel free to unfollow plenty of other people to get the information. Um, I'm gonna do kind of what I want to do. This is how I process. I don't pretend to be like the smartest and the best opiner or analyst or whatever. I This is how I process it. I process things by writing and throwing it out there and sometimes hearing back from people who have a better grasp on it than me. So um, I think it's important that uh, people retain their values and uh, people with a little bit of a platform, people with larger platforms than mine like Al Bernstein. Al Bernstein does the same thing. Yes, he does. Yeah. And uh, so I, I appreciate that. Um, and he's with Showtime. He's with Showtime. Now, ESPN, different kettle of fish, though, right? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because um, they're they're not just boxing. They're into other sports. No, they're, yeah, no, geez. They're having a, a hard time fig sponsors. figuring that <laughs> figuring that out. That's a work in progress. People have left over it. Uh, sure. uh, Jamel Hill has left. People have been fired over it, right? Yep. Kurt Schilling on the other right. side of the uh, political fence. And people, it is interesting because it can be a little bit, 
harder and nastier for people. And this was the network, right. but this yeah. was the network that also had Rush Limbaugh as a uh, NFL commentator right. for a short period. And then they'll say, "Well, okay, but he never spoke politics." And you know, there's a lot of bullshittery and uh, you know, changing rules as they go, not adhering to rules that are present. So, right. Uh, Bottom line, Kurt, I come back to it as an issue of free speech, of understanding that mm, in the grand scheme of things, more important than this prize fight on Saturday night is uh, the planet as a whole, citizens as a whole, society as a whole. And if I'm, I try to be selective about what I talk about, and I feel like if I'm fighting for people or issues that are uh, attending to and trying to serve underserved people, uh, underdogs, have-nots, I think for me, I feel like that's safe ground. And I try to kind of stick to that. Hmm. You know, it's like funding for kids who don't have enough to eat. Yeah, man, I'm going to opine about that. Right. Uh, right, right. I'm not going to apologize for it at all. But right. if you don't dig it, feel free to unfollow. Right, right, right. All right. Well, on that note, I'm sure most uh, folks would choose to follow as opposed to unfollow Mr. Woods because he's not only uh, a good egg, but an awesome source of information, great reporter, and uh, just an all-around good guy. So on that note, my brother, really appreciate your time in, uh, on, a, on a wet Sunday. <laughs> and uh, and uh, best of luck in everything and all you do. Thank you, my friend. Uh, really appreciate and don't take it for granted you inviting me here. Honored uh, by the opportunity. Thanks for uh, asking great questions. Thanks for listening So uh, in such a captivating fashion. Uh, that's why you succeed in what you do because you ask uh, good questions and then are very patient in receiving the answers. And uh, that's why I can definitely say uh, this the podcast is uh, – a real addition to the mix. A lot of people have podcasts, but uh, a lot of them uh, are not as much worth your time as listening to Kurt Amhoffs. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it, my brother. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and ringtv.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank both Buddy McGirt and Michael Woods for taking the time out to speak with me. Great conversations. Really enjoyed them. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that features quotes and background on my interviews with Buddy and Michael. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for? 